you're always going to touch someone by being as honest as you possibly can. Whatever, whatever that truth is, whatever that truth is, is valid. And we'll set somebody free, you know, starting with yourself. It will travel and it will be powerful, I think. My guest today, Yursa Daly Ward, is an author, actor, model, and screenwriter of mixed Jamaican and Nigerian heritage. And growing up in northwest of England, she found herself quickly exited from her home, being raised by her grandparents at the age of six, and struggling in many ways to understand what had just happened. Reading and writing became a bit of a salvation for her, a more introverted kid raised in a strict religious family then, in a tradition that no one outside the family shared, being vegetarian, the only black person in her school who also happened to stand nearly a foot above her peers by her early teens. She just yearned to fit in, to not stand out. She didn't want to be different. And yet, something in the order of magic happened when her teacher noticed Yursa's gift for language and asked her to begin sharing her poems before the class as spoken word. She came alive. It was like she stepped outside herself and all was as it should be. And that very feeling, though stifled for some time, would come roaring back to life years later when living in Cape Town, South Africa, she stumbled into this weekly poetry group. And following one of the weekly prompts, Yursa wrote a poem entitled Mental Illness, then performed it from the stage. And the response, it just took her breath away. And in that moment, she knew this would be her life. And it has become just that. Now, three books and many stages in, having cultivated a giant global community on Instagram, co-written Beyonce's musical film and visual album Black is King, her work has appeared in Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, and so many other outlets. And it draws from her own experiences and larger issues affecting our behavior, culture, and life, fusing poetry with theater, music, and storytelling while sharing universal, often hard but honest, and real experiences in verse in a way that draws you in and makes you feel less alone. Yursa's newest book, The How, was written entirely during the pandemic, and we talk about her journey to this moment, explore some of the poems and ideas from that book, and also dive into what it was like to create work that is so close to the bone at a moment like this. So excited to share this conversation with you. And a quick note before we dive in. So at the end of every episode, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but we actually recommend a similar episode. So if you love this episode, at the end, we're going to share another one that we're pretty sure you're going to love too. So be sure to listen for that. Okay, on to today's conversation. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I'm just genuinely curious about a whole bunch of things. And cool. the new book is amazing and beautiful. Um, Thank you, Jonathan. So, so cool. Is it actually out yet? I know I have an early copy. It is. But... It is. It's out now. I've taken my breath. I've exhaled. And it's, yeah, it's out there. <laughs> it's out there. I'm very, very glad. <laughs> yeah. When the book sort of like hits the street, what's your what's your lens on do you pay attention to what people are saying? Do you just oh, completely no. ignore it? Do you just you like can't. stay in your own space and feel good about it? I mean, I try and I try and stay in my own space and I try to remain as positive about it as, as possible in my own space, you know. And obviously if someone says it's great, then I'm happy to hear that. But yeah, I just you know, it might sound a bit I'm I'm always on to the next thing, you know. I'm I'm always thinking about the next thing and as much as as much as, as I think it's important to kind of like celebrate, I'm just naturally on to the next thing, thinking about the next book. So that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, I I <laughs> I, I, I love that because um, it's very much my mentality. Yeah, <laughs> well, totally resonate. Right. Okay, so now I'm curious about something else. Yes. When you actually get the physical book in your hands, mm-hmm. are you kind of like? excited this is the thing this is a social object or you kind of like oh that's nice but the process is what mattered to me and you just sort of like check the box like it's out in the world now and it doesn't actually mean that much you know what it's kind of both because i really like i mean i like design i like the way things look i like when things have a rich color to them and i'm really oh my god they probably really hate me there because i when it's the cover, you know, you probably oh, yeah, understand yeah. this. You know the the great cover debates when you get sent some proofs and you're like, uh, <laughs> and then you go back and forth. So, yeah, I definitely took a beat for that because I just loved the sort of orange, like the deep orange color of that. I always know what color I want the books to be. Uh, and, yeah, just to feel the weight of it, the way it looks, how thick it feels. I think that's interesting. Um, but the yeah the the process is really is is the thing you know where I have the most joy and energy. Well, you know on the good days, <laughs> <laughs> which over the last two years it's sort of like on any given day. I think for all of us, um, right. you never entirely know how have have you been affected, if at all, by in terms of sort of like your creative capacity um, mm. by just the state of the world recently. I mean, it's so effective because my mental health has, you know, a direct effect on uh, impact on my my creativity. And in short, my mental health has to be good. It does. So 
over the past two years, it's, <laughs> it's kind of been up and down quite intensely, like up and down my creativity. So the, for the first part of the pandemic, I didn't, didn't really write anything. Um, and I was just finding joy from, from other things, reading other people, watching a lot of people's Instagram lives. And, you know, then there was the protests and that was happening. So there was a lot to sort of take in. It was 2020 was interesting and I should have been writing throughout most of that. And I was not, I didn't really get to it until after the summer. I'm curious, why, why do you feel like you should have been writing during that? Well, no, I mean, I'd, I mean, it was between me and my publisher. Like I'd said, I was writing this book. That's <laughs> oh, what God, I mean. God, like God, I, God. I told them I was writing it. And, you know, it came out in small, just just in dribs and drabs. And I, I didn't. I didn't really know what it would be. I always expect the book to be something else than what arrives, you know, at my, at my fingertips. And I think that's fine because I think it's more honest. But I definitely didn't expect to write a book like that at all. <laughs> I always have these grand ideas of these, these fictional, fictional sort of shape-shifting, I don't know, tales and then... What comes out comes out, and then yeah, I got to be happy with that. Mm, yeah, I feel like whoever has a creative impulse and was like trying to really create something substantial over the last couple of years, <laughs> there's got to be so much forgiveness that goes along with that because yeah. it's sort of like we're all going through our own thing, of course, <laughs> you know. And sometimes that comes out as outflow, and sometimes it comes out as just processing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're doing the work inside of you and so and that's what that's what you it's not about production it's kind of about a slow slow inspiration or just the, just the deepening of whatever whatever is going on did you find that with with, with writing did you find that I did and, and were... I wrote a book over the pandemic also mm. and it was really interesting because there were times where I was just like really on and there are times where it's just like, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I felt like I couldn't plan that sort of like a writing schedule where I sit down and I'm like, all right, I'm going to knock out 2,000 words today or write for two hours because it's just, I just never knew on any given day. And I think when the world's so uncertain as well, I mean, what are you going to do? You're grappling with so many different things at once and yeah. wondering what tomorrow's going to look like, Yeah. So that brings up another curiosity, you know, because I, I feel like, and tell me if this is right from the outside looking in, it feels like a lot of your writing is also, um, you're writing often things that really appeal to a mass audience, but a lot of it, it feels like you're writing for you. You're writing because you're sort of like, you need to get it out of your head and you need to process. And I'm wondering when you're under contract to write a book and it's during this particular season where there's just so much affecting you personally, do you ever feel a tension between sort of like, what you're writing and just your desire to, to completely write whatever you need to be okay personally. Absolutely. I did in the last book, not with the other two, because it was a different writing process completely. And with those, I, I sort of had the product, the book, I had the poems, it was there already. So by the time I had the publisher, I already had Either in the in the case of the first one, the book was done, and it was a, a self published book that they um, went on to republish. And then with the second one, I still had a lot, so it was more like shaping. But this was different. 
And yeah, of course, of course, there's tension because as well, you know, I'm, I'm going to blame being an Aquarius. I don't really know, but it, there's no structure <laughs> to anything. You know, it's just <laughs> what comes, comes. Uh, I've tried to be stricter and I think I have things that work better now, but I still, it's still a sort of chaos, but it's a chaos that I really enjoy. Um, and so, yeah, the, when it comes to deadlines and stuff, I have to, I, I almost trick myself into still believing that it's just for me. It's just for me. <laughs> mm. And I could do it or not do it. Yeah, I think we all sort of have our own go-to in order <laughs> Yeah. To sort of like do like do the productive side of the of, of the creative process. Um sure. I want to dive into um the newest one also and there are a couple of passages where um I'd love you to read and then we can talk a little bit about it. But I also want to take a step back in time also because we kinda of jumped right into the deep end of the pool without <laughs> setting things up. Um clearly, as people can tell from your accent, you were from Brooklyn. Um but <laughs> Before that, I'm guessing there was somewhere else. I know you grew up in Chorley, which is was sort of like north, northern England. Um, yeah, northwest. And it sounds like a very young age, mom was West Indies, dad was Nigerian, um, didn't know your dad, and mm-hmm. ended up around the age of six with your grandparents. And which sounds like, on the one hand, it was really powerful, but also really disruptive in your life in a lot of ways. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, my grandparents were very strict Seventh-day Adventists, and so... I went from my mum's house to, but, and it was just me, it wasn't my brother initially, so I went to go and live with them and life changed a lot from six to around 11. Life was very different, um, new set of rules, a lot, uh, you know, it was a very, very, very strict um, upbringing, very Jamaican, very tough. Uh, and yeah, going to school as well in the Northwest and being the only person not even the only black person, the only person of color there. It it was so different. It was so different. And I don't think I'll ever stop drawing on, on, on that kind of thing. I think it, I think when you have experiences that you don't realize that they, they keep returning to you in different ways all through your life. Just the way that you consider things or the things that will suddenly come to you in a moment when you're doing something else it's really amazing, I think. Uh, and I have more and more of them all the time, I think. Mm. What led to your mom bringing you to your grandparents when you were six? Was there something that happened then? Or? So my mom was a single mother and uh, she had she had a boyfriend and then she didn't have a boyfriend and that was really tumultuous and she just thought it was better uh, for me to go and live with my grandparents she there's something about it that she didn't she didn't think it was safe for me to be there and so yeah and so that's why I lived with them and I remember her calling me into the room and saying you're going to live with your grandparents for four years I was like four years that's like forever <laughs> and then and then yeah my mom was really good actually which is um she, she was a great communicator in that way and she would really talk to me about very, very adult things. And I do think that has a lot to do with me being a writer today. Mm, how so? The way that she spoke to me and the way that she laid things on the table. It wasn't always appropriate, but she let me know what was going on in, in many cases. Mm. Do you feel like your understanding of what was going on at that moment 
Did you have the, the understanding then that you have now, or is it only in hindsight or in conversations that you sort of like really understood what the bigger picture was? Strangely enough, I understood it then. I understood uh. in, in the instant um, when my mum told me it may not be safe um, to be at the house, what the connotations of that were. And it's it's really, really hard to explain now, Jonathan, but it's a feeling. It's it's a feeling. And my mother, this woman, is telling a little girl something, explaining something, explaining something and, and, and letting me know that this move is for my own good. And that mm. though while it will be difficult, there'll be there'll be stru- a structure there that that I need, and being at my grandparents was really difficult in in so many ways, but in terms of structure and discipline, it was incredible. I don't think I could have had two better teachers than my grandma and granddad. Mm. I'm I'm wondering mm. also if if she's saying she doesn't know if it's safe. And yet, but yet she's also telegraphing to you, but I'm staying in this relationship. Absolutely. What was the subtext there for you and sort of understanding what you do and how you deal with situations like that? Well, that was a huge thing. I, th- I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that a rift is born there because you understand that whatever it is that will keep you safe will also divide you. And I think that that is, it's, it's a tough thing to swallow. It's a tough thing to know that, that somebody cares for you in ways that they, they may not care as much for themselves or that somebody's need for something is greater and it outweighs, you know, what they, them wanting to be with you or, or them being able to be with you. And it's weird, I keep, I keep, I keep taking this back to writing, but... When you when you are faced as a, a child with an adult speak to you in your face with very adult themes, you start to understand the human psyche in ways that that can only be shown to you. You know, they can't be they can't be taught to you. You know, you, you pick those things up and you become interested in it. And it hurts you, but you start to you again, you start to understand these things as normal. They're normal to you. It's all you've seen. So there's so much in that. There's so much in that. Yeah, I mean, it's like it plants the seeds of you being a deep observer, mm. um, sort of like of the human condition, starting right. with like the, the immediate human condition right around you, but also then yeah. getting these like strange mixed messages from like your mom was sort of like, you know, being safe is, is really, really important for you, but not for me. And then it's like, mm. well, what's underneath that? Like, how do you unpack that as a six-year-old, let alone as an adult? And then, and then how does that shape the way that you step into your own life? Like as you become an adult and figure out, okay, so what's, what situations are okay? How do, like, what's okay in terms of how I want to be treated in the mm-hmm. world? That's true. That's true. You, and then some things you repeat, and some things you, you know, you, you become, it becomes like you become the opposite. Yeah. Because you won't, you won't, you won't tolerate that. Or I always find it interesting actually how much, how much just repeats in generate generationally, like what we, we, we bring about without even consciously trying to bring it about, but you create the same set of circumstances often that you've seen or, you know, maybe it skips a generation and it's there again. It's, it's really interesting to me. 
Yeah, we we are weird beings. Yeah, <laughs> we are. You think you just learn, you check the box, and then move on. It's like, nah, we sort of like keep cycling back and then up again and then back again, and it's like. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar. You should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. So it sounds like writing also for you touches down at a really young, young age. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, do you have a sense what that was about was it just an an interest was it 
coping mechanism? Was it creative expression? Was it world creating? Was it, and I'm curious what sort of like, what, what, what was the job of writing for you when you were, when you were little? Well, I know exactly how this came about and it was, it's because my mother read to me when I was really young and she let me read anything that was there and I have an appetite for for language and for words. I always have and always will. But the reason why I have is because she, my mum got to me when I was little, like really small, small, younger than six, way younger, and would read to me over and over again. I mean, her whole bookcase was available to me. Everything from medical journals to the Karma Sutra was there. My mum was like, if, if you can understand it, read it. And because of that, I developed this facility with language, which meant I was well ahead of reading ages and everything like that. And I mean, it didn't go to maths or anything. I was awful at maths, absolutely terrible. But reading, definitely, yes. And, uh, and because of that, I think when you love language, you write. It's how you express yourself. Uh, I think I write much clearer than I speak. Hmm. And that's because I was reading along with speaking and, and writing just became an extension of that. It's, it's, it's how I communicate with the world. And yeah, when I was young, I think it was a way to tell the truth about things that you're too maybe too shy to, do, to, to say or not allowed to say because with my grandparents, you couldn't right. say anything. I mean, you would have got into serious trouble, so... You know, when you write, when you put it in the work, it's kind of tolerated a bit better. Yeah, it's almost like when everything around you is so rigid, mm. you need a re you you need a release valve. Like somehow, like something, it has to come out in some way, shape, or form. It sounds like for you, writing was was in in no small part the release valve for you. Yeah, I love it because you can be totally wild. You know, I can write about things I would never dream of talking about. I do that all the time. It's like where I go to, you know, be, let it all out. <laughs> mm. Do you feel you're more honest when you write than when you speak? Completely, completely. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't walk around lying to everyone, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm an introvert. So it's not, yeah, I, I probably don't express and definitely not in the way that I w would when I write. But when I write, I'll, I'll write anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. Um, as a fellow introvert, I totally get that. Yeah. It resonates. You know, it's yeah. sort of like if you want to really know me, like like read me. Yeah, because yeah. it it just comes out differently and more open, more honest than mm -hmm. in the vast majority of conversations. Like unless you know me really, really well for a lot of years. <laughs> same, same, same. And even then, you know, you're still, you're still, you're still presenting something. You still. I guess you still want, we want love or we want validation or we want people to like us. And I feel like I can be a bit more unlikable in, in text uh, or a bit more raw. And that, mm. yeah, that, I'm addicted to that. <laughs> yeah. Were you sharing your writing when you were little or yeah. was this just writing for you? No, no, no. I, sh I mean, I shared, I shared at school. I was the one at the front of the <laughs> in assembly when, she, when the teachers would be like, yes, has got a poem. And then I'd read it. And that's another thing as well. Encouragement with kids. I think I got encouraged from a really early age. As soon as I shared my writing, like, I was always asked to, to read pieces that I'd, I'd written at school. And that was I, the only 
I mean, I, th I feel like that that w that was where I, I shone. It was the only place in, in which I thought, you know, I could be as good as anyone else because I was the only one asked to do those things. And, and that meant a lot to me at that age, just feeling so, like, so different, but so, mm. so, so different. Um, in what ways? I know you've shared a little bit, but tell I me mean, more. I mean, being the only black kid, being being the only kid that didn't live with their mom, didn't often see their mom, didn't have a dad, was a foot taller than everybody else, um, ate Jamaican food every night instead of, like, you know, whatever they were eating there, chips and beans, um, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. Having to go to church all day on, like, a... From, from sunset on the, the Friday, having to observe the Sabbath to sunset on the Saturday, what we had to wear at church. There was so much that was different. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, do you, do you celebrate the difference? Or as a kid, are you just sort of like trying to do anything you can to, to fit in and to no. not stand out? <laughs> I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted long blonde <laughs> right. hair. I wanted to go out on Saturdays. I wanted to eat pork and eat chips and go to the cinema and have boyfriends and maybe not, you know, seven and eight, but like when I was a bit older, I wanted to look like the girls that I went to school with. You know, I didn't want this, like, super religious upbringing. I wanted to see my mum all the time. I wanted me and my mum to go shopping. I wanted to know a father or what that was, you know. So many things. Um, oh, you know, it's... But as I'm talking about it now, I think, God, what better sort of... When you're observing all these differences... When you're shape-shifting as well to try and fit in. with Again, you understand people. Of course, this is a recipe for a writer, for an author. You're observing all the time. You're on the outside. You want to be part of it. Or maybe you don't all the time. But, yeah, you are. You're the other. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. As you're talking, oddly, um, or maybe not so oddly, Toni Morrison's story, The Bluest Eye, like, comes into my mind. And I'm like, they're, like, like real... There's there's interesting parallels. <laughs> I can't believe I only read that book in my twenties, and then I was oh, like, "Oh, no kidding! <laughs> yeah, oh, such a powerful yeah, book! Yeah. Oh my god, it's so powerful!" And yeah, no, there it was on the page. I was like, "Wow, wow!" Yeah. So when you're being recognized then as a kid for your writing, for your poetry, mm -hmm. and then being asked to stand up in front of everybody else. And as somebody who, you know, self-identifies as being on the introverted side of the social spectrum, was being forward-facing like that, was being sort of like singled out in that way, even for a good thing, for a talent and a gift, was was that comfortable or uncomfortable for you? I've got to tell you, Jonathan, like reading poetry, performing poetry, singing, anything like that, dancing even, anything like that where it's performance, I have no problem with. Huh. And it's kind of part of how I've been brought up. I was brought up in the church. I used to sing all the time, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to the public speaking side of things, funnily enough. But it was more when you had to be yourself, like at a, a party, you know, mm. <laughs> and, and, and it's just you. And then you're, you're not performing. You're not on a stage in front of people. You don't know your material. You just have to show up as yourself. And I think, yeah, where shyness is concerned, I think those, those are the parts that were difficult until I mm. learned like several ways of, of deflecting and, and pretending not to be afraid. 
<laughs> yeah. The yeah. parties are where you would always find me in the kitchen or helping out the host. Oh, really? <laughs> like, that was your strategy. That was I my jam. I love that one. I, I was like, it was funny. We had a couple of years ago, we had um, Ellen Hendrickson on, who's a psychologist who focused on, on social anxiety. And she's like, you know, one of the most powerful coping mechanisms to get comfortable. And, and so many people have some level of social anxiety. She's like, just take on a role, like kind of like, wow. when you, so when you go to a party or something like that, it's like, Ooh, I'm going to be the helper in the kitchen. Or so you kind of have like a job to do. That's such a and good idea. It, it's great. And I was like, I, and I was like, I can't believe like I've actually been doing that my whole life. I just never really understood that that was my way of, of feeling sort of like a little less anxious in social situations. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> That's bloody amazing. I wish I'd got that memo. Uh, <laughs> so writing poetry and performing, you know, mm. is a part of you from the earliest days also serves all these different purposes. Um, as you shared also, you, you end up being a foot taller than a lot of other kids in your class at a young age. So you're, you're standing out for a lot of different reasons. Of um, reasons. And then eventually you, you end up taking this kind of interesting turn into the world of modeling. Right. Um, so what's that about, I guess, is my curiosity. Well, all it was really is because I was taller than everybody else. And I remember a point in the, the 90s and sort of early, two, it would have been early 2000s. When you were tall and you were a girl, they would be like, you should be a model. And so I just thought, well, that, that might be a nice way to earn money. And so I did it a little bit, but it didn't really take off. And then I decided to do it even more. And I did it in London and moved to South Africa, did it there as well. And it's just, yeah, I thought, why not? Why not do it at the same time as trying to do everything else? And it hadn't occurred to me yet that there would be space, even though I always wanted to be an author way before. I'd written, I'd written books before, not very good books, <laughs> um, in my teens and had some books rejected and everything. So I, did, I left it for a while and then did something I thought was more tangible, which was modeling. Yeah. It sounds like in the back of your mind, though, this was never going to be your thing. It was just kind of like your your for now thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, the, I mean, there are so many models who do other things on the side. But yeah, I think it was while I took a breath. And funnily enough, the times in my life where I've, I felt the most sort of out of sync with myself have been the times when I haven't been writing, mm. um, haven't haven't understood how to find a way in. But I'm glad the way in came back, came back to me. It happened in South Africa while I was modeling, actually, the way in. And then I was going to all of these open mic nights. And yeah, the poetry in, in Cape Town and Johannesburg was just out of this world. And I knew that was a, a spot. I knew that was my, my place and that I had to start again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to imagine too, and I'm, I'm really curious, because your time in the world of modeling for somebody who's a deep observer of, you know, like human beings and loves to then translate that to writing. It must've been sort of like this really kind of fascinating Petri dish for you. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, you know, because so, and, and it's a misconception uh, that this is a really, because of course we'll be on the, the face of it, it's, it's fashion. And so it's very, it's very, very surface and, you know, it's quite fake in a lot of spaces. But, you know, models, some of the most introspective people I know in my life today are models. <laughs> they travel the world. They're by themselves a lot, a lot. They're by, it's quite lonely 
you know, that, you know, they're always in hotel rooms with their books and, you know, or they're, they're doing shows with their, their books. And yeah, it is, it, it gives you a lot of, a lot of downtime. I mean, it's, it's really stressful because you're, you're just always anywhere that you're told to go. But yeah, I think, I think my introspection probably grew in those spaces and also yeah you're witnessing a lot of because it's not the models right it's it's like a lot of the fashion people you're witnessing what's going on there and some of what's going there is very strange you know so yeah I guess it is a petri dish I guess yeah I mean I said no and then I I said yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think I'm I was using that phrase more in terms of kind of like a really interesting data points for you as an observer of life and as as a writer just sort of like see the psychology and the social dynamics and the power dynamics and mm. i mean granted that's all around us all day but in that industry in particular there's a lot <laughs> there's, there's a lot oh. going on at any given time good life project is sponsored by lexus gx so have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game for me it was this high-end mountain bike i love the ultralight frame the suspension the precision gearing and i realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential so i started training harder so i could experience the joy it could give back to me and it paid off that bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy when we own exceptional things they inspire us to do exceptional things the all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money. 
So you end up in South Africa, um, Cape Town, mm-hmm. and dropping into the scene where there's sort of like a, a weekly, there, there's a poetry scene, there's a spoken word scene. And it sounds like there was this really interesting group of writers and performers uh, where basically every week you're sort of like jamming together. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. It was, I just turned up there. No, somebody asked me to come. Somebody asked me to go and I turned up and yeah, I just, I just hit with these, just this lyrical mastery. And I was just like, wow, the, not only just the, 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 the words, but also the, the energy. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And, and then they said, okay, so the, the prompt for next week is write about discord in the mm. family. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is one thing I know, it's that. And so it went away and then, yeah, next Monday I was up and like, you know, delivering this poem and I felt it and I, and then it was, you know, applause at the end. And I was like, no, this is, no, this is, this is what I, I do. It was like I hadn't been away from it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's strange having to go go all the way there to find that. And then I didn't stop writing after that. That was, that was it. That was it. Yeah. It sounds like that, that was the moment where yeah. you said, okay, so like, this is the it thing. Was. Like I can't, like I've, I've been kind of dipping in and out of it, but now like this. Do you know what, Jonathan, do you know, now I'm talking about it to you. Do you know what yeah. I think it is? Because I often have to see things to get excited about it. And I think that the, the issue was I was in London and while there was a, a there is a spoken word, um, community and movement but I wasn't part of it I was sort of mm. on the outside looking in and when I went there I was in the thick of it and I felt it and I saw people performing poetry with energy with vigor and it wasn't this this sort of super like you know academic and erudite way of performing it was just all the energy and pizzazz that that that, that I feel very strongly you know and so I was like of course this is this exists and you can do it that way you don't have to be this other thing and I think that's what it was and then I was like so excited about it and knew that this was this was it this was what this was the Mm. deal yeah (laughs) yeah I've also heard you describe that sort of like that time in your life as it was the best of things and the worst of things it was. It was. Tell me more about what you what, what you actually mean by that. Well, the thing that got me to South Africa was um, just severe depression. Like I was in London. I lived in. <laughs> I rented a room in uh, my friend's house in, in 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 Notting Hill, and I was waking up every day and just having this like not even wanting to get out of bed and just just felt horrible often, and I just I. Uh, I thought to myself, like, I, I can't do this. I have to go somewhere. I have to do something. I have to disrupt it. And I, that was just a random place I decided to go. And I, it was only through going there, through looking at the place that I saw they had, like, an African market, that, meaning they have, uh, like, a black girl can sort of be a face for any of the brands, which was not the same in Europe at the time. And I was like, okay, so I can pay for being here by modelling. I was modeling in England, in London, but it was on and off. It wasn't really making me a living. And so my mind was made up. I thought I'll try a bit of modeling and then just be there. It's, it'll be sunny and I'll, I'll make a plan, whatever. And I, I meant to go for a few months and ended up there for three mm-hmm. years. So. And yeah, those three years. <laughs> yeah. So Bone was your first book, which you self-published. Um, yeah. In 14, right? When you first self-published, it eventually, eventually picked up yeah, a pen, yeah. penguin after that. But 
the so the poem mental health it shows up in that book but did you write yes. that poem then sort of like in those earlier days yes okay so got yes it. i the the poem yeah so the mental health was, was i think the second or the third prompt at the the night in observatory um the night was it was it was a place called Tagore's, and um yeah that was the third prompt Got it. Oh, but it was such an up and down time. It was a rocky, it was a rocky time. Yeah, I mean, that poem is so powerful. Yeah. Thank you. And it's all, it's all like tying together in my mind right now. Sort of like the, what, where you were, <laughs> what you were going through and sort of like how that flows mm. out of you. So that was actually then the third prompt in sort of like the poetry night in Cape Town as, as like the initial mm-hmm. thing. That's what it was actually written for. Yes. So when you get up and you perform that, to a group of people for the first time. This is a deeply, it's a raw, but powerful and beautiful and also hopeful in the end poem. What's that like for you? The very first time you step up and do something that kind of personal and revealing. I feel like mental health is usually the first poem that I, even today, that when I'm going to do any kind of reading that I like to start Mm. with, it grounds me. it, It, you know, I can feel my feet on the floor and yeah, it's just, it's, it's personal and it's, it's to it's it's to me and it's to anybody else and yeah I guess it's it's just what I was feeling at the time and I remember where I was sitting on the veranda just like writing it out real quickly because we don't have very long before you know and I don't take long over poems I try to get them in that first blush so I know it's you know it's just me and yeah it was <laughs> thinking about it now uh, you're gonna I'm gonna have a smile on my face all day now from thinking because I don't often think about that time. But it was it was pretty special, as 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 difficult as it was. It was um, just the birthplace of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. When you step to the mic with that poem in your head for the very first time, mm. if you mm. can put yourself back there, are you nervous? Are you alive? Are you indifferent? Are you? <laughs> I think alive and sort of electrified in a way. And if there are nerves, it's less apprehension and more kind of just adrenaline that I'm going to share. Just at the thought of, of being able to share something that's, that, that really means something to me and that, you know, that I consider to be the truth. And also that I know everyone goes through because there's nothing that I go through that everybody else doesn't go through. So there's that as well. Yeah. When you were done after that first reading, do you remember what the response was? Oh my God. I, I, I will never forget what that response <laughs> was. I will never forget what that response was ever in my life. And um, yeah, people responded in a way that made me really understand that this is, this is the space. This is what I want to do. This is how honest I want to be all the time. I want, I want this to be my job. I want that honestly to be my job because it's also the only place I can find it. I'm still working on the confidence to, to show up honest like that in my everyday life, you know, the, but, but I know that it's, it's possible. We can touch it when we make art or when we, when we write. And this is why I'll never stop. (laughs) <laughs> so so now I'm curious yeah. about something. Yeah. There's an interesting phenomenon. Actually, a friend of mine read a whole book about it called The Alter Ego Effect, where sort of like when you step into like some sort of performance mode, 
it's not like you're becoming someone different, but, but you're like, you're stepping into a part of you that is almost like this superhero type of presence where it's sort of like you're wearing that sort of like cape when you're there for the moment and you're just, and it allows you to sort of like channel and express and perform and do these things. It's a part of you, but it's not a part of you that's really easy to access on a day-to-day basis. Do you feel like that when you're, when you're um, performing? Jonathan, you've explained this so, so beautifully. I, I do. I feel like, do you know all it is, is that I feel like it's a connection with source and mm. whatever we believe that to be, whether it's you're tapping in from ancestral um, power that's beyond yourself or you're, or you're just getting out of your own way. Because um, it's hard, right? We're humans and we have, we're, we're a mixture of like ego and all kinds of things. And we're, we're very rarely just at, just in connection with source without all the other things like you're worrying about, you know, your presentation and how you look and what other people think about how you look, right? And I think that in that moment when you're really, it, it's, it's such clarity um, to the point that when, when like I'm on stage and there's a musician and we're doing the poetry, even the, <laughs> even like the dance moves or the weird dance moves, you feel like a preacher in a gospel, you know, the, the, the preachers in the black gospel churches where you're like, ha, you know, <laughs> from the Holy Spirit. But I'm joking, but I definitely do feel as though everything from an answer to a question, when you can you can answer something really deeply about um, the question to a question somebody's given you or any kind of advice or whatever, it's definitely not me. It's something else that you, you, you're given in that moment. And I think it's about, yeah, becoming a, like a clear vessel and letting that come through and not ruining it with yourself which is what I think I might do in everyday life when I'm, you know, shy or whatever. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think so many of us see other people sometimes in that mode and we're kind of like, I wish I could be that way. And, and then we realize that we actually, there are these fleeting experiences in our lives where we actually are, we step into it and we don't realize that that's always a part of us and in us, but it's just, it's, it, we don't live in that space. And I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing, but um, just to know that actually it's not yeah. just a part of that other person we aspire to be like, but it's actually a part of us and we can step into yeah. it when we want to. I think it's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. And yeah, who would want to be that all the time? Because you wouldn't be, I guess you, you, you wouldn't be uh, that earthed. You just be, you wouldn't be like a human being with, I don't know. There's something about our little like insecurities and flaws and second guessing ourselves. This is also like you and me talking as like two introverts jamming together. If we had an extrovert in the yeah. conversation, they'd probably be like, yeah, all the time. We wouldn't be saying anything right. as well. If there was an extrovert here, I'd be like, just like nothing and smile. That's what I do. Um, I nod and smile a lot or just, or just listen. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a line actually that, that uh, in mental health that, yeah, there's this one, I mean, the whole poem is really powerful, um, but there's this one line, see that just outside there are people lined streets that are emptier than your insides, that uh, I read that so many times. I was like, wow. Mm. Yes. Um, I think we have all felt that experience so many times and sort of like yeah. that line ends up in a poem, which ends up in this first book, Bone, which you put out yourself. Yes. And people resonate with really powerfully, ends up eventually getting picked up by Penguin and published, you know, like more traditionally um, 
a little while after that, you end up, so it's interesting because this is still really in the realm of poetry. And then the next thing you do that's book length, the terrible, which would come out in 18, maybe was, was 2018, yeah, 29, 18, which 18. is much more memoir. Right. And, and mm-hmm. it's sort of like really mm-hmm. talking about your experience with personal struggles and mental illness and abuse and addiction. And I'm curious what that's like. So you're putting into the world, these poems, which which talk about these things, but in this sort of like artistic, poetic way. And then the terrible is sort of like more, it's a different thing than I'd seen you put out before that. And I'm curious like what that was like for you to sort of like put that into the world. This is another example of it having like something beyond you doing this because me, yes, sir, does not want to talk about my personal, Hmm. personal, personal, naturally. It just isn't a thing, you know. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not that way. Uh, and yet, <laughs> this book comes out with the grittiest grit of the grittiest, and in which I'm honest about so many things I've never told a living soul before. Because oh God, I mean, they honestly. My agent said, "Do you have anything else?" At the time when when <laughs> when Penguin was was um, publishing, gonna publish Bone, and I I said. Yeah, even though they didn't, because I, you know, I'm I'm an opportunist and a hustler, and that's how I grew up. And you make your opportunities, and I was like, I'm, I can write something. And then I thought it was going to be this beautiful, like genre bending fictional book. And then it's it's just me just coming out, and I'm just like, oh, I'm writing a memoir. Okay, then. And then it, it I try not to think about it. It comes, it comes, and it comes, and it comes, and then it's it's done. And there it all is. I didn't intend to do that <laughs> at all. But I couldn't hide from it when it was coming because I was in service to it. And my story's like, the story's more powerful than me. I'm just like who it's who it's coming through. And it could have come through any any other person who, you know, we read sort of memoirs all the time and... Yeah, I, I just think it's it would be arrogant to kind of start putting myself into it or putting my fear into it. I just have to to do it and, and let go. I think because once it meets the air, it's something else anyway. It's not really yours. It's it's whoever whoever reads it, it belongs to them in a way. So mm. if it's coming out, just, just let it. You know, it's how I wrote Bone, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is often one of the hardest things for us to do is just let it flow, you know, because we want to prejudge it before it hits the page and, sure. and say like, is, is it worthy of being even memorialized? Is it going to be accepted? You know, like, is it the way that I want the story to be perceived about me? Uh, rather than just saying, no, this is the truth. Exactly. And I had to get out of the way because I knew what it was going to bring. And I knew that, you know, I was revealing things that people couldn't I wouldn't know if I hadn't read the book, um, written the book. <sighs> but my answer to that was just not to think about it. I didn't. If I thought about it too much, it wouldn't be out there. Uh, and then I'm so, I'm so happy that it's out there. Mm. And it comes with its stuff. It does. But, you know, God, I, the most important thing to me is is the work and the story. And and whether or not it can touch someone who has a similar story or thinks that, you know, maybe because they've experienced all these things or done these things that they're not worthy of whatever. Uh, it's That's what it's for. 
that's what it's for. And I, I understand that, the, the purpose. So I have to politely step out of the way <laughs> and let these things come out. Yeah, which is very often really hard to politely do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when when you when you sit down then to write your new book, the How Notes on the Great Work of Meeting Yourself, which you write during the pandemic, um, sort of oh, yeah, like yeah. in your own space in Brooklyn. Do you have an intention for this book, or is it the type of thing where you're just like, okay, so I'm I'm sort of trapped inside a whole lot right now, and that something needs to come out and because you, when we were first, when we started our conversation, you were sort of like, this is the first book where the form really, it wasn't there before it happened. It's sort of like the form happened along the way as you just, mm-hmm. you wrote the form into what it needed to be, which can be a really uncomfortable experience. Oh, it was, I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. And at times I thought, why am I why am I writing these things that people already know? Like I was fighting with myself. I was like, oh, one of the, the things that I find the most difficult is is like the idea of, of stating the obvious. And it, it it's where I, I, I trip up on myself because I'm like, oh, God, why are you telling people this? They know. Of course people know. You know, we know we, we know these things, but it doesn't mean that it can't be stated in a new way or even in the same way it doesn't mean it can't be stated and so yeah my inner critic was hard at work during that (laughs) also because I'd taken so long to even decide what it would be and even when I was writing it I didn't know what it would be I thought is it a series of letters what is this and it was another one where I just had to just be in the moment with it yeah. And so it's interesting because I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what actually is this? Like, what's the format? Like, what is, because on the one hand, you know, you're writing similarly to ways that you have in the past, these sort of like beautiful long form poetry, but sort of like there's verse, but there's also, it's, it's, it's this sort of like, you know, special kind of magical hybrid form. Mm-hmm. But then you do something really interesting at the end of most of the pieces, which is you add a prompt. You sort of like, right. like, okay, so so here's something to think about or here's something to do rather than sort of ending and saying, okay, so so I've just expressed something that's, that's specific to me, but also universal because I know a lot of other people feel this and just let people, let it linger in people's space. You finish and sort of say like, I'm going to plant a seed now for something for you to think about. I was curious about that decision. Yeah, because you know what? I feel like sometimes when things are actionable, they hit a different part of us and it's more resonant, mm. you know. And and it's sometimes it's really beautiful to read a passage and you think, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And then you read the next one and then you don't remember the old, the, the first one anymore. If you're anything like me, I just, I'm all over the place. And so I think it's just a grounding thing. And really I meant those prompts to be for anything. Like, do you want to talk about, talk to a friend about that? Do you want to write? Will it will it work as something you, for something you're writing? So it's open ended, but it it is it's like a an invitation back to yourself and to to see if 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 what you've read works with you and you know maybe one of the prompts in the whole book will work, but that'll be the one that'll be the one that opens something else hopefully. So I, I did all this with hope, but mm. yeah, kind of like to be able to to um, to plant those seeds in a way. Yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was really kind of cool and interesting um, and not something that you normally see. It was sort of like this blend of forms, this blend of different things. Um, I would love if you could 
read one or two things. I was thinking Milestones and Other Cons is a oh, yeah. really okay. kind of cool and okay. interesting. I think would really resonate with a lot of people with where they are right now. Okay. Milestones and Other Cons. Destination versus now. We are here for a prescribed and brief amount of time. A blip. Longer for some than others. We are here to create, to love, to learn, to grow, to share our gifts and, most importantly, to experience joy. It's not about getting to point B, but the journey, they say. And it sounds like a lie, but it is truer than we realise. What is point B anyway, but number two in a long list of even more things? To be clear, when I speak of joy, I don't mean the intangible state that we call happiness. When I speak of joy, I speak of something altogether more nuanced and real to me, something I can taste and feel and name. I speak of the experience and dynamism of being alive in the world. I speak of darkness and light, arousal and feeling. Joy is largely to be found in the dreaming and conceiving of a thing, the traveling toward it, who we are when we are with others in and around our path, and what we do on the way. The destination is no fixed point, and it is never all it's promised to be. No sooner do we land than we look for the very next place on which to set our sights. That in itself is no bad thing. It is incredible and natural that our desires are always regenerating, that our desires should shift but we must be wary of assigning a feeling of ultimate satisfaction to the experience of completion, or we will be disappointed. In order to feel vital and have any real enjoyment, we must find the beauty in the dreaming and planning and less so in the outcome. If joy is to exist at all, it can only ever be now. Otherwise, nothing great is solved when we succeed. We think that there'll be this fanfare and happiness will come. But no, if you don't feel the joy in getting it, there'll be no more joy in the having it. Sorry, humans are just set up that way. We love a problem to solve, a thing to make our God, something we can exalt, something to pin our dreams on. Nothing will give you the feeling. It must exist on its own, without condition, alive and breathing, reliant on nothing. And this does not always seem to make sense since validation, whether social or monetary, seems to lie on the other side of the line, the green over yonder, the next place. When we have achieved, insert milestone, things will be better. When you have gone, insert place, things will be better. When you have acquired, insert new material things, things will be better. And this is because we live in a system that applauds material wealth, appearances and status, but after gaining some of the things that we said we wanted, we are still never quite there. Well, what is the point of the journey, you might say, if our day in the sun means nothing, if the accolades and achievements are pointless? I do not mean to deny the importance of goals. As highlighted in the previous chapter, it's a transformative exercise to name and say what we want and to imagine those things with creativity and delight. But I speak to the intentionality of the goal, what we want and for which reasons. I mean that the goal will solve nothing in and of itself if we are not suitably equipped. I mean that we can't use the promise and gifts of tomorrow to escape this very moment. If you are not spiritually fit right now, 
Running anywhere else is pointless. The next place will never save you. Name four things that you wanted and now have. Do you still want them? Did they change you? For how long? Name four things that you attach great value to now. How long have you wanted them? Is there anything that links them together? Do you think that they will change you? If so, how? Now think of two instances in which you are completely fixed on some future outcome. How can you actively begin to enjoy your progress towards those goals in this very moment? Such inquiries are important, whether we know the answers right away or whether the questions hang in the background, flowering. Mm. Oh, that was okay. Mm. No, that was beautiful. <laughs> and so poignant and so of the moment too in so many ways. Um, because I think so many of us are, we are rushing towards something, whether it's to get out of the current moment or whether it's to achieve or acquire, or accomplish something else. And, and like you said, not that the, not that actually, you know, doing those things is meaningless, but it's like, what are you actually associating with them giving to you or making you feel? And what are you giving up? Like what, how much of your humanity are you giving up along the way in the name of that thing, which may never come? Yeah. That's, that's it. That's it. And even, you know, it kind of links to what I was saying before about going on, finishing the book and going on to a next book. That is, you know, I'm writing this book to myself also, you know, that is, it's symptomatic of the same thing, you know, wanting that feeling again of completion and whatever you think it means to you, whatever you think you'll get (laughs) from that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not lost on me that, you know, these are things that I have to constantly remind myself. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the notion that the only there, there is here now, you know, yeah, I, I love that. It's like, we know that in our bones, but we don't live it. We, we're like, it's sort of like that thing where it's like intellectually that makes sense. And yet we just sort of like tuck it away for another day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So true. There's an, another piece, um, the desire behind the desire. I'm not going to ask you to read it, but there's um, there were a couple of lines in there where you write, if we are artists, truth is the only way in which we can make the work truly resonant and urgent. If we are true about what we are feeling, no matter how specific, it will become universal. That is why when your work meets the air, there's nothing to fear. Yeah, I think you're always going to touch someone by being as honest as you possibly can. Whatever whatever that truth is, whatever that truth is, is valid and and will set somebody free. If, you know, starting with yourself, it will travel and it will be powerful, I think. Mm. And I think that's what we're all trying to get closer to, right? <laughs> yeah, we're trying. Right. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in, in a lot of different ways. For sure. Yeah. Although, although I think it scares us also a lot because I think, you know, as much as we want to live and understand and see things clearly, it also sometimes means accepting hard truths about ourselves, Absolutely. about society, about like the world. Um, and sometimes we, we choose delusion just because we don't want to deal with that because we know it's coming if we say yes to, all, to truth on all levels. That's true. That's so true. A bit of delusion from time to time, you know. <laughs> escapism or whatever we call it but 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the most moved by things that remind me of the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, those are the things that resonate with me. Mm. Not always ready for them, though. <laughs> mm. Are any of us, right? <laughs> right. Feels like a good place for us to come full circle in our conversation as well. So sitting here in this container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life, um, fall in love with the small things and fall in love with them often, fall in love with them daily, really notice them. Try not to let the beautiful parts of your life slip by unnoticed. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Thank you. Jonathan, that was such a beautiful conversation. Hey, before you leave, if you love this episode, Safe Bet, you will also love the conversation that we had with Cleo Wade about crafting language and performing and moving people. You'll find a link to Cleo's episode in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app. And if you appreciate the work that we've been doing here on Good Life Project, go check out my new book, Sparked. It'll reveal some incredibly eye-opening things about maybe one of your favorite subjects, you, and then show you how to tap these insights to reimagine and reinvent work as a source of meaning, purpose, and joy. You'll find a link in the show notes, or you can also find it at your favorite bookseller now. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. Mm-hmm.